with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning and welcome to the Monday edition of After 9. Uh, I'm your host uh, for Mondays, Stuart Parker, and... Uh, Following uh, some serious news stories last week in The Citizen and on CKPG, uh, we're giving a full hour of uh, the program today to talk about uh, the teacher shortage that's developing in Prince George and how this is part of a larger package of education austerity that we're seeing coming out of Victoria. Um, we have uh, three guests today. I'll be speaking with uh, uh, Joanne Hapke, the uh, president of um, the BCTF local here in Prince George. I'll be speaking with Joanna Larson in Prince Rupert to get some comparative testimony from another part of northern BC. And then Andrea Beckett from the uh, Prince George District Parent Advisory Committee uh, will be joining me for the last third of the program to bring a parent's perspective to to um, what we're beginning to see in our classrooms. So I want to uh, thank uh, Joanne for coming into studio and uh, spending uh, part of Monday morning with us. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Stuart. I'm really pleased to be here to represent the teachers and what is happening in our district. So uh, last week we uh, got a series of news stories about how We now have an acute teacher shortage here, sort of like the kinds of shortages we were seeing in the Peace River country a few years ago, where uh, we're not able to fill all of our classrooms with regular classroom teachers. How bad is it here right now? This is the worst year that we've had since our uh, collective agreement language was restored in 2016. Uh, There are currently 13 teaching positions for classrooms that are not filled and uh, classrooms and non-enrolling teachers, teachers who support the students in classrooms. And so we're looking at French immersion classrooms are not being able to be filled in our elementary schools. And that is a growing program, as we know, in our district. There are nine unfilled elementary classrooms and four unfilled uh, secondary. So this is a struggle. So uh, obviously French immersion teachers are in high demand in Western Canada relative to the number of Western Canadians who are fluent in French. Essentially, you're having to hire French immersion teachers from a national teaching market, right? That we're competing against all the other provinces to do that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Everyone is in high demand. The French French immersion teachers are needed everywhere. And our school district has been sending their HR department uh, across Canada looking for uh, a a French immersion uh, source so that we can get our schools staffed. So how do our wages and working conditions stack up against uh, other parts of the country? We do have the lowest starting wage of uh, in the country, and in the West, we have the the lowest wage out west of Quebec for the most experienced teachers. So this is a and, and this is a region where three of the western provinces, the ones that uh, the ones to our east, Alberta, governed by the United Conservative Party. Uh, the Saskatchewan, governed by a coalition of liberals and conservatives in the Saskatchewan Party. Uh, Manitoba, governed by the Manitoba Conservative Party. And all these conservatives are paying teachers more money than uh, our NDP government in Victoria? That is what is happening currently. And, of course, the, a lot of them 
are based on collective agreements that were signed in the past when there were different governments in power. And our collective agreement is at the end of its run. It was It's over J- June 30th, 2019, and that was a result of uh, another government that we bargained with. And so we have to look at what is happening currently. Yes, we do have an NDP government, but they are working off of uh, the former collective agreement that was signed with the previous government. Right. And how are things going in drafting this new collective agreement? We're getting awfully close to uh, the end of the school year and the end of this collective agreement. How are negotiations going for the BCTF? Well, we're in a place where we didn't expect to be working with an NDP government. Uh, there there were a lot of us that really felt that we would ha- we would have had a, a signed collective agreement in the last school year, the beginning of this school year. Uh, things are different. It is not what we expected. and But we remain hopeful that we are going to be able to receive a negotiated collective agreement at the bargaining table. So um, now bargaining uh, for teachers um, – has uh, has worked for the past 21 years under something called the Public Sector Employers Association. So this is a body that um, essentially drafts, uh, drafts the teacher's contract at a provincial level. So what? Um, how much can a district like Prince George or a more remote district like Fort St. John, um, how, um, how can... Is it possible to tweak the local collective agreements so that uh, we can compensate for our remoteness and getting uh, teachers here and attracting them here with decent wages and benefits? At this time, no. Anything to do with salary has to be negotiated provincially, and it is with uh, BCPC, the government's uh, negotiating agent. And so that that is who our BCTF negotiators are dealing with uh, every time they get to sit across the table from them. And what are the sticking points right now in um, in the negotiation? Money and the recognition of actual need. Uh, we we have been saying that we recruitment and retention of teachers is a concern, and the ministry. The Ministry of Education and the minister have stated uh, that's only up north or that's not – we really do not have a recruitment problem or a retention problem. And Prince George is now saying, yes, we do. There, There is a problem. We we have our unfilled classes. We have our non-enrolling teachers, teachers, our support teachers, our learning assistance teachers who are not able to do the jobs that they were hired to do because they are in classrooms when TTOCs are uh, – substitute teachers are not able to to go in and replace classroom teachers. So our non-enrolling teachers are being reassigned out of their jobs to cover classrooms. That is the more immediate need at that time. And the students, So that means less music, less art, less French, things like that? Not, no, that means less support for students who oh. need help. So yes, sometimes the music teachers, the gym teachers, those are sometimes our prep teachers, the teachers who go in and fill for, for classroom teachers when they are uh, to meet the uh, prep minutes that that are in our collective agreements. No, these teachers are the ones who are helping to develop the language skills, math skills, and work on uh, individual education plans for students. These are very important parts of our school system, and those jobs are not being done. Right, and this is especially a worry in Prince George because... um, One of the problems, as I understand it, with the current formula is there's an assumption that every district has the same proportion of disabled students, Hmm. uh, same proportion of students with learning challenges. And we all know 
that those students tend to be concentrated in districts where there are other government programs that those students use and need, typically in places where you have the headquarters of a health authority, like Northern Health, districts like Surrey, Vancouver, Prince George, where there's a major health authority and a major hospital. So what you're saying is we're essentially pulling services away from students with special learning challenges in order to just do the absolute basics. Absolutely. And that is not uh, the res- the district saying this is uh, one way to handle it. That is the district responding to what is happening right now. Uh, if we could get more teachers in, our district would hire them. But there is nobody applying. And when they, the, our district is doing what they can to get people into and interested into moving to our district. But that's not always easy. And, of course, any teacher looking for a job can go anywhere. And any, pe- any teacher in the north can find themselves uh, desirable in the south now. People all over the province, their districts are looking for teachers. So it's almost like we in Prince George need to be rooting for Vancouver's affordability crisis to get worse so that it spits some teachers out. And that's a horrible thing to want to root for. So um, now, obviously, dealing with BCPC, this sort of black box, that's complex if we're trying to exert some kind of political pressure Um Prince George is fortunate in that it has one trustee, Cheryl Warrington, who sits on BCPC and is part of province-wide bargaining. Most districts don't have that. Only seven districts have that. But um, so is it is there any use in people going to the local school district to, to, to raise these issues or does this have to be raised in Victoria? I really believe that there's a lot that uh, the public can can be doing. Yes, there is a use to go to the school district in search of advocacy to to ask for for more help. The trustees are definitely the ones that I believe you, people should be contacting because they are the ones who who can write the letters to the ministry, which they have done uh, recently. I haven't seen the letter, but they spoke to it at the school board meeting where the Northern Branch of the Trustees Association has requested that the recruitment of teachers become a priority of the government. So yes, there is something that people can be doing, but, but writing to Victoria is definitely uh, something that should happen. We do have local MLAs, the Liberal government here. If uh, people have relationships with uh, those representatives, that's another avenue that pe- that can be explored. Now, of course, it's complex trying to write to a government MLA because geographically the nearest uh, member of the government is a, um, a six-hour drive west in Smithers, uh, Mr. Donaldson. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, yeah, I guess that that is that's as close as we can physically get to a government member. Um, there's also some complexity down south. Is this more? Do you feel like this is more Rob Fleming and the Ministry of Education here, or is this Carol James, our finance minister, and the Treasury Board that's really calling the shots? You know that that's a really good question. I have to say that there is a, a little bit of, of both there. Right now, Rob Fleming's deputy minister is still a liberal appointee. So that, that person in, in that position has worked, actively worked against the government or against teachers 
for the government for a number of years, and he was kept in that position when the NDP came to power. We are confused by why that was allowed to happen. Uh, we don't understand why that was allowed to happen, but his ideas and the advice that he is going to be giving to the Minister of Education will come from his years of uh of working against the teachers. And now Carol James, I think she's done an incredible job in her role. She has provided money uh, to many uh, many of the public sectors to to increase and support programs which are vitally important uh, to our province. And so I'm I'm not quite sure why there is there is a money for for teachers in in this round. And we are working against uh uh, people who who main, who remain in all levels of ministry and with BCPC who were liberal appointees who who worked against us, not with us, to support students. It's a curious uh, thing to. I mean, in a way, you sort of admire a government for not giving out any jobs to its friends, but then you wonder how a government can make uh, decisions. Uh, that support its ideology if none of its friends are advising it. Uh, I agree with you on that. It, it, yes, we should we role model the way things should look like? Absolutely, we should. But when it's not working, please do something about it. And this is not working right now. Now, in terms of um, uh, now, there are some small reforms that, that could be made. Right, simply BCPC could be given more money with which to sign the contract and have consequently have more flexibility. That's certainly in the, the power of Treasury Board. But I, I wanted to throw out there a more substantive reform because um, I, uh, a few months ago we had, we had another education program. We had Dean McGee on, who's the head of um, Surrey's District Parent Advisory Committee. And he ran for school board on a platform of Surrey pulling out of BCPC of saying we should go back to district by district bargaining that whether it was the old Glenn Clark government which once again had Carol James in charge of province-wide teacher bargaining in her position as chair of the BC School Trustees Association and her executive director Lee Southern the former chief of staff for the Manitoba Tories um We've really had continuity of 22 years of province-wide bargaining that has been done by three different NDP premiers now and two different liberal premiers. Um, what Do you see any merit in going back to the system we had before 1998 and negotiating in districts based on district needs? There is a lot of merit to that. Uh, one of the concerns, though, is that each district, each town that, that could potentially be looking at, we call it local bargaining, which we would love to have more of, uh, it depends on your tax base. How much money are you actually going to receive in order to bargain a collective agreement that would support the needs of your district? Now, we, when we used to be part of the um, school, the school board would receive taxes. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. So, yes, we would love to have more local bargaining, but there has to be a a part of provincial bargaining as well. And those are discussions that need to happen with the upper levels of our BCTF and with the government is to determine what should happen locally and prop then properly funded and what needs to happen provincially and make sure there's money on that table as well. Yes, I mean, it is very strange that Bill Vanderzam, who's 
dislike of teachers was nearly as legendary as Christy <laughs> Clark's, inadvertently came up with a bargaining process which saw the fastest rise in teacher wages and improvements in working conditions of any time, that period from 1987 to 1999. And it's because school districts competed against one another within British Columbia to attract teachers in the way that we're being outcompeted at a provincial level in attracting teachers. Now, as we... Um, now, obviously, schools functioning in our city is a fundamental. It doesn't just have to do with people whose kids are in school. Um, right now, a lot of people talk about downtown Prince George. The um, pe Some people think there's a level of urban crisis there, etc. While that might be hyperbole... Um, Adequate education, especially for kids with special needs, so important for keeping Prince George safe, for dealing with questions of poverty. So if people are concerned citizens in our town, um, how can they support um, your efforts to get an adequate uh, level of teaching uh, personnel here? Definitely, definitely contacting, once again, uh, the, the ministry. Contact John Horgan, contact Rob Fleming, contact Carol James, but contact our local trustees as well and let them know that they are supportive of better supports for students. One of the things that gets lost in uh, our conversations is the fact that the teacher's working conditions is our students' learning conditions. So when teachers are supported by receiving a better working conditions, the students are receiving direct support for their learning conditions. When the province puts more money into uh, non-enrolling, so when there's more learning assistance support for students, yes, that supports teachers, but that is direct support to the students who need it the most. And often, students need a little bit of support and that will help them. Some students need more, obviously, but if we can give the students the support they need when they need it, they're going to be successful in life. And I think a lot of people uh, my age and older imagine that our schools have the level of supports they did like when I was in elementary school in the late 1970s, mm. right? Where we had a school counselor with an office in the school. We had a learning assistance center office. We had a learning enrichment center office. We had designated uh, full-time teacher librarians and all of these things. And so we often have this assumption that that's the baseline, that's the norm. But um, in your average school, most of those people are either not there, or they're splitting their time, right, between that and other duties. Absolutely. Uh, since our court win in 2016, where we received our, our ratios back, we now have those specific teachers more likely to be in our schools. But for a vast period of time under the previous government, they were not there. So you were lucky to have a librarian. Not every elementary school had a librarian. Most did, but not all of them. And the librarians that were there were trying to do a full-time job on a part-time assignment. And we had one of my uh, last assignments where I was in a school. I had a, a colleague who was the resource teacher, the ELL teacher, and the librarian. There are now three teachers in that school doing that job that one person did 
on a part-time contract. She wasn't even full-time doing those roles. So our restored ratios has brought a level of support back into our schools that will support our students. Unfortunately, that is being eroded by our TTOC shortage. So now those teachers who have been assigned and do have groups that they work with for students are now in classrooms because there isn't the TTOC to call to cover the classroom when a teacher is sick. Right. It's almost as though there's some backdoor way of getting out of an imposed Supreme Court judgment. On that note, I'm afraid I'm going to have to let you go. We've actually gone a little over time because this is... (laughs) This has uh, been a great conversation. Um, As we get closer to that June 30th deadline, I hope we can have you back, hopefully with some good news. Oh, I would absolutely love to come back soon to uh, talk about our signed collective agreement. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Joanne. We're heading to break now. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back on uh, After 9, Monday edition, uh, talking about education austerity. We went a little over time before our last break, uh, glued to our um, Prince George uh, BCTF uh, president. Uh, now we have uh, Joanna Larson, longtime uh, teacher activist uh, in Prince Rupert and a friend of the show. You may remember her from the BC Bus North episode we did last fall, Joanna. Uh, Joanna, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Stuart. So, um, I don't know how much of the last interview you heard, but we are down 13 teachers here in Prince George. Um, uh, that um, And we're finding that um, it's impossible for the, um, the, the teacher ratios associated with our collective agreement uh, to be filled. What's the situation on the ground like in Prince Rupert and the rest of the Northwest? Uh, well, it's, it's pretty bleak. <laughs> we have, um, right now, I think we have about 27 people that are teaching without teaching credentials. Um, so they're not trained teachers. And we've already had, I think, four resignations this year. Um, our French immersion program is quite in danger. We don't have, um, my daughter's in French immersion, and she um, does not have a French teacher at the moment. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's pretty dire across the province in terms of um, teachers wanting to be teachers <laughs> anymore in our province. So, yeah, it's tough. So, um now, uh, obviously, I found that news exciting because I have no teaching credentials whatsoever and am presently looking for work. Um, how is it that districts are getting around requiring um, those basic credentials and hiring non-teachers? Oh, well, there's something called a letter of permission that you can apply for. And if they, if they cannot fill a position, they're able to uh, apply to the teacher qualification services for a letter of permission, and they can work with that. Um, but what it means is you don't uh, you don't have the, the the teacher training or the the, the sort of education that most qualified teachers have. Yes, well, as somebody who teaches uh, at the post-secondary level, I remember my teacher training. I went to a 50-minute workshop, was given two slices of cold pizza, and told not to sleep with my students. So, uh, yeah, I would imagine if you're importing teachers from the university level, there they might be a skill or two that um, they're, uh, they're missing. Now... This um, this was a government that uh, you worked to elect, that I worked to elect. Um, uh, 
in our last interview, we had some theorizing about why uh, this government um, has carried on with Christy Clark's teaching policies. Uh, what's your take on how this has come to pass? You even have an NDP member of the legislature there. Yes, we do. Um, and yes, I, I did work hard um, for a change. And one of the reasons I did that was because of um, the educational platform of the party, that they were going to make changes. Uh, the last time the BC NDP were in uh, government in BC in 2000, they spent 20% of uh, total government spending was on education. This current NDP government is spending um, slightly more than 11%. That's extraordinary, a 45% cut. Uh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're getting there. It is. Um, they, they, they very much like, I think it was uh, one of your previous MLAs that worked as education minister that went around talking about highest funding ever. Um, this government is using much the same language, but it's what they're talking about is, yeah, they are putting more money in education, in actual dollars, but as we all, we all understand inflation in BC, we all understand that we're paying the most for groceries and, and hydro and um, just the basics of living, right? Like rents are the highest they've ever been. Um, we understand that, but when you look at the actual total spending, uh, in BC we spend almost $1,900 on average less per student. In a classroom of 20 students, that's $38,000 missing. That's, uh, that's an extraordinary amount of money. And uh, so essentially what you're saying is the, um, that um, this, uh, this government isn't keeping up with inflation here in terms of, um, in terms of education spending. Um, how has your local member of the legislature responded? She sits in the cabinet. Uh, what's the deal? Uh, she has tried... Um, I don't know if you would have recalled there was a letter trying to compare apples to apples um, back in the fall that she had sent in response to our questions about that um, and was trying to say that the NDP is very different than the Liberals. And so we decided we, we did, that's when we did all the research. Let's compare apples to apples and look at what the NDP in the 2000s did compared to the NDP of today. And that's where that, that 45% difference in actual commitment to spending comes from. So um, now uh, there, uh, there are currently negotiations going on with the provincial government. I think what I'm going to do is before asking you about this round of negotiations, we'll have a short break and we'll come back and dive into a potential future contract. Sure. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome back to uh, After 9 Monday edition. I have Joanna Larson, a longtime educator and activist in Prince Rupert, on the line. So um, how... How are um, teachers in the Northwest feeling about the current contract negotiations with the provincial government? Um, what kind of possibilities uh, do we see there? Is there uh, is there cause for optimism? Um, I, I, I'm hoping that there's cause for optimism, but uh, it's not great right now. As you mentioned, we have an MLA um, that is in the current government, and we're not feeling very supported by that. We don't have enough teachers here. We uh, we fundamentally believe that every child deserves a qualified teacher in front of them, and that's not the case in our school district anymore. 
Um, and the what is on the table from government, uh, I, I know there's a media blackout and we don't talk about that, but in very general terms, what is already out there, and people are aware of, is the offer does not keep up with inflation, um, which actually sets teachers back financially. And the, there are no improvements to class, um, our, our classroom conditions, the learning conditions of our students, which makes it makes it incredibly difficult. The health of teachers is suffering. Over 50% of our teachers that are on long-term um, medical leave are, are due to mental health issues, which is directly related to the stress of the, the job. Um, we're, it, it's, and this is why we can't, we talk a lot about of attracting teachers, but it's also why we can't keep teachers. Teachers taking early retirements, teachers deciding to move away, uh, teachers moving into other professions. Uh, just up the road in Kitimat and Terrace, they keep losing potential teachers or teachers to, to the various industries that are happening around them because the work is so much less stressful and so much higher they're, they're just more highly compensated for it. Right. So building a giant uh, carbon bomb in uh, in Kitimat uh, seems uh, attractive compared to uh, working in an under understaffed school with your wages declining against inflation. Uh, now, uh, we heard in our last interview, the uh, BC teachers are the worst paid in Western Canada. Um, and yet uh, the other three governments in Western Canada are conservative governments. Um, what do you make of this long-term continuity in our education policy that we've really seen under three NDP premiers and two liberal premiers? Why is there this consensus in Victoria that our teachers should have the least compensation? I think it's... It- public education and that would be you combine the lack of priority of belief and the power importance of it society with uh, Joanna, we're having some reception problems with your phone could oh. you walk to a slightly different location and say that again sorry um, I think it's it's a combination of um, two things I think it's the revenue problem um, which comes from that belief that we need to maintain the lowest corporate tax rates anywhere and the, and, a, and a lack of commitment and priority to public education in general and the health of public education system in a, in a democratic society and the value of that. And I, and I think our, you know, both of the main parties in BC have lost their way when it comes to that. And uh, uh, it's fairly striking that... Um, uh, so we we have this um, this consensus regarding public education. Very different story with private education in BC. We have um, uh, the some of the best per student funding of uh, private uh, fee paying schools uh, in the country. Doug Ford in Ontario is trying to catch up to our very very generous level of funding here, as Jason Kenny in Alberta is. Do you see? Um, uh, do you see your school as also bleeding students to the private system? Oh, of course. <laughs> That's the, uh, the attack on the public system and the erosion of it. So the public system is designed for everybody. It's to create equal opportunity and to give the citizens, the voting citizens of our province, um, the ability to... To maintain that, to maintain our belief in in, in our government 
structures and to you know, to be able to to earn a living and to participate, to volunteer, to all the productive elements. When you start to take money out and give it to the private sector, you're saying that some citizens are worth more than others. And I think that's fundamentally not what most British Columbians believe. Um, It's a myth when they talk about how it saves money, because public education is not about saving money. It's a public service, and it maintains it maintains the belief in our society as it's structured in Canada and British Columbia. Um, so you start to see um, students leave the system, and we we've seen this before. We just have to turn to places like England to see what happened when um, people felt they needed to start, you know, mortgaging their homes to put their children in private schools. Um, you, the loss of diversity within the schools, uh, the loss of um, the loss of uh, you know we even in the United States you see the schools in, in cities and one they have the concrete playground and then the other side they have all you know the bells and whistles of the latest technology and and just how in in equal the funding and the and the resources are available to students. And that's not what we believe. We believe in an equal opportunity for everybody and that every citizen has the same value and worth in our province. And BC should not be funding private schools at all. They should not be getting one penny, in my opinion. The tax money that people contribute should go to every citizen. And we all benefit from the students that are in, in the system now. They're the students that will take care of us and help pay for our retirement. So even if you don't have children, you're going to benefit from them. And the collective money should be, that's where it should be going, not to private institutions. And uh, we can see this related to uh, other um, phenomena in Canada. We've, we've seen for the past two years a statistical increase in climate denial in our population. And obviously, when we have religious schools using public money to teach young earth creationism, um, our public square is going to take hits, not just economically, but in terms of its discourse. So... Um, uh, I've been, uh, this is how I asked, uh, I concluded with our last interview. Uh, for people who are concerned about this, what can they do um, to try and make sure that teachers get a fair shake this June? I think they should, um, you know, contact teachers, talk to the teacher. Uh, I think your last speaker uh, contacting the MLS, fine, we've done all that. They're not listening, so we need to go a little bit beyond that. Uh, teachers will be taking actions. They may be out, you know, having um, rallies and that sort of thing. Find out what's going on. Come out, support them. Contact definitely local trustees and school boards. Um, social media, if, if that's your thing. Um, but mostly I think it, it, it's be supportive. Be supportive and listen and talk to a teacher. They'll tell you their story. They'll tell you how hard it is. Um, and if you have children, it's really important to find out what's really happening in the schools. Because as a parent, um, I, I, I live the dual world. I see the situation that my children are in, and I know it's not good enough, and I want to change it. But we still have too many parents that just trust things are happening in our schools and money is being spent in the right ways. And it's not. And so we need help from the public um, to make public education a priority in our province again. All right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you very much, uh, Joanna. We'll head to break and come back with Andrea Beckett. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
Well, here we are uh, in the third part of our um, whole program focused on education austerity and its impact here in Prince George. Very pleased to be joined by Andrea Beckett. She's uh, in her second year as the chairperson of um, the uh, Prince George uh, District Parent Advisory Committee. So, um, how many students and parents uh, do you represent here uh, in Prince George? Well, we represent all 42 schools. That includes out to Mackenzie and Valmont. So we have quite a large district. And we are the group that is the parent voice. So we represent the parent voice, um, which every school has a, hopefully, not all schools, I should say that, um, but most schools have a PAC, a parent advisory council. And then we are the district voice for those PACs and parents. And then we work with the provincial, the BCC PAC council, who talks directly with the ministry about the issues affecting parents and education. So uh, this is a, uh, you had a lot of people to represent in a lot of places. Uh, last week, um, our uh, mainstream media, our, our, our main news sources, CKPG and The Citizen, uh, wrote about um, this uh, shortage of classroom teachers uh, in our district. Uh, uh, our BCTF rep said uh, we're about 13 teachers short right now. Um, that's both classroom and specialty teachers. That's correct. Um, so how is this uh, impacting um, how is this impacting your kids? Um, so we've heard, we have a lot of parents. We have our monthly meetings and parents come and we hear on a regular basis that uh, those kids that have an EA or should have a consistent EA often don't get that EA because they're getting pulled to cover uh, a short classroom. Other classrooms, there's no consistent teacher to provide care, um, not care, sorry, I'm a nurse, uh, teaching. And so that, that consistent education curriculum teaching isn't being provided and there's a rotation, um, which means the kids that need the special needs aren't getting what they get need to get um and then the kids that even just your i don't want to say average or standard kid but the you know the the 80 percent kids that fall in that 80 percent of the bell curve aren't getting consistent um education either and this varies it's um not consistent some schools are do better than others but it is a problem across the district so um uh now there was supposed to, there was a Supreme Court judgment. Um, this was supposed to be fixed with these um, uh, with these teachers uh, with adequate teaching levels, especially with respect to um, students with special needs. That was imposed by the Supreme Court in 2016. Um, from your perspective, what are the key reasons that we're not actually delivering what the Supreme Court has asked? Resources, money. It's not our district is doing their best. Um, we are, have a great relationship with what we call our partner group. So every month, we have the superintendent, uh, vice superintendent, um, QP Karen uh, Wong, and Joanne Hapke, who was just here, and Cindy Heitman, and all of them. They come to our monthly meetings, including always one member of the school board, and we have a great working relationship with them. Um, and we know that they're doing their utmost to try to do to provide teachers at the frontline classrooms, but they can't provide what they don't have, and they just don't have the teachers. And it wasn't isn't even that they wouldn't want to hire them. If we had teachers apply tomorrow, I know they would hire them. They don't have teachers applying partially in 
it's a lack of funds to pay them what they need to pay them, which is, of course, a provincial issue. It's not a district-specific issue. Yes, and we're, we're, we pay the least in Western Canada. Right. Uh, that's obviously uh, a, a problem across the board, but particularly in uh, more rural and remote areas. Now, in some ways, one could say, well, Prince George has some special access to all this because only seven districts have a school trustee who sits on the Public Sector Employers Association, which negotiates with teachers. Um, uh, what uh, Has um, Cheryl Warrington been able to throw any light on, on what's going on there from her dual perspective negotiating for the province? No, she hasn't. Um, she hasn't been the rep that has come to our meetings the last few times, so we're hoping that maybe she's the one who comes tonight, but we haven't actually heard any details from her. Yes, well, it seems that that's, um, I mean, most districts, they, they don't have even that, right? And, no, so we are uh, lucky in that yeah, sense. But, well, well, lucky in so far as you're represented on the Public Sector Employers Association. So um, for you, it's, it's a question of system-wide funding, that there simply isn't the money being delivered to our school system to uh, attract teachers, hold on to them. Um, why do you think there's been this um, consistent problem? I mean, since I've moved to Prince George, I've noticed this is a very family-oriented city. I think about our city council here and how low its user fees are for recreation, how much recreation space it provides for families. Um, there are all kinds of signals that Prince George gives the world that um, this is a, a good place to raise kids. Why do you think our, our provincial representatives haven't sort of, why is there this disconnect between these local priorities that rank education pretty high and what we've seen from the past several provincial governments? Honestly, I'm I'm not sure. I think it's not a black and white issue. I think there's a lot of politics and history, which I know Joanne already went into. Um, and really what our focus is as the DPAC is to support parents and make sure that the parent voices get heard. So we ask that the parents come out every month to our meetings because the partner groups are there. We ask that they bring it to the DPAC because we'll bring it to the board meetings. Um, it's getting the, you know, call your MLAs, let them know this needs to go up to a higher provincial level because... It, it's a resource issue, like I keep coming back to it. And I'm, I'm not sure why um, education isn't better resourced, because, like, well, I do know why. Like I said, it's a complex issue. You probably do a whole hour show just on that. <laughs> and as I said, jo Joanne did touch on a lot of the key issues. Um, but our our mandate and our focus is the parents and the families and supporting them through this. And the most important there, point there for us is those frontline stories, getting them out, getting them heard, getting people to understand that. And you touched on a very important point too. Prince George is one of the few large city centers where people still can come and potentially even live on one income. And I know that our district has really been pushing the living portion of Prince George as a big recruitment factor. Housing in most cities has gotten really expensive. So yes, teachers can get jobs anywhere, but affordability and lifestyle is a big thing that I know the districts have been pushing the recruitment and retention plan. So um, between the district continuing to push that and parents needing to get their stories heard, um, and then we just we need more resources in education. It has to come from the top down.
So uh, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, I want to talk about some of those uh, parent stories and some of the sort of specific predicaments that uh, parents find themselves in, especially with the under-resourcing of students with special needs. So uh, just hang on. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Uh, we're back uh, with After 9 Monday edition uh, in our last segment talking about um, education austerity at the provincial level and how it's shaking down here in Prince George. We have uh, Andrea Beckett, head of uh, the Prince George District uh, Parent Advisory Committee, representing uh, parents from uh, Valmont to Mackenzie. Uh, so uh, you mentioned last time that um, there's some fairly personal stories of um, challenges that uh, that parents are facing with the understaffing, particularly of um, educational assistants and uh, teachers who are targeted to uh, remediate uh, situations for some students. What kinds of problems have parents been coming to you with? Uh, a common one we hear is especially the parents that have children with uh, special needs or in the process of getting a special needs diagnosis. Uh, they've put in a ton of work, time, and energy to get those diagnoses for their kids because that's tied to funding and more resources in the classroom for them. And then they're very frustrated when their kids go to school and that EA isn't available and or that the teacher that knows that child and the child's specific learning needs isn't available because they've been pulled. And once again... Um, the district does their best to shuffle based on the resources they have available to them, and they are limited in what they can do. But it still affects those parents and those children. Um, and so they get a certain amount of money to make sure they get that EA and those supports, and then they're not getting it, right? It's not coming directly to the child that needs it. And I've had a lot of parents say, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if I'm better off just to pull and homeschool them. But that also has the ripple effect. Then you're talking about... Um, women, large part, going out of the workforce to stay home to homeschool kids that affects income. You know, it has those huge ripple effects that I obviously don't even need to go into. It's, you know, you're pulling people out of the workforce. You're, the kids aren't getting the social, um, well, parents can teach. A qualified teacher is probably, with an EA support, is going to do, um, and that knows the curriculum in and out, is a better option for that student than homeschooling. And there and are... I mean, if the parents do it because that's their choice and they feel that they really want to do that for their child, that's very different. But there's parents that feel that they now have no choice, and that's the only way to make sure their child gets consistent teaching education support. And to us, that's an issue. That shouldn't be. And the uh, Joanne has said the same thing at our meetings every month. Like, we know this is happening. We know it shouldn't be happening. But without more resources available, we can't stop it from happening. And those parents who then uh, pull their kids out of school, homeschool them, the supports that are available for them when they're homeschooling um, are strongly conditioned by um, religion in some cases, right? That you have, um, that there, I have friends who pulled their kids out of school and they looked at um, uh, their, um, uh, two of their children were disabled, special needs, and, um, they found that uh, by signing up for a particular um, conservative Christian uh, curriculum uh, that 
there were more resources going into supporting their homeschooling efforts than if they simply went through the public school system and got the resources from Victoria. So it seems like there's also questions of like, are we living in a secular society and things like that that orbit around this? Perhaps, but those are personal choices that we that those are personal choices. Absolutely, they're personal choices. And what our concern is that it's not because people choose to pull their students to access those resources because they fall in line with their personal beliefs. Our concern is more about the parents who want their kids in, in the school system, and those kids want to be in the school system and have a right to be in the school system. And due to lack of resources, they're not getting what they need. Right. So this is, I I think it's very important that you frame this as a rights question, that as citizens of Canada with kids, um, we should be able to expect instruction in the classroom that meets our kids' needs. So, um, uh, and uh, I imagine without proper educational assistance, we find that even if parents do maintain their jobs, sometimes there are those calls to come to school at noon hour and pick up your kid or a little later in the day if things have gone awry because that student isn't supported by their regular EA or there aren't the resources in the classroom for them. Certainly that's something I experienced as a step-parent. Definitely, and we, we hear that all the time. And once again... Um, this has an impact on, on families, working women in the workforce. I mean, that's not the primary issue here. It's the students. But it has those big ripple effects outwards, right? Um, and we do have to be aware that those exist. So um, now this has, uh, you know, not been the sunniest, happiest interview <laughs> in the world. Uh, we didn't. Uh, but uh, I do want to ask... Um, uh, I imagine there is a sense of parent solidarity at DPAC, that uh, there is a sense of community in responding to this. How are uh, parents um, who are suffering with this, um, uh, uh, how is interacting with them being? What are the things that have worked to um, keep morale up or make people feel supported? Um they really appreciate that we have, like I said, what we call our partner groups and the school district board and that we have those key figures at our meeting every month. Parents really, really appreciate that. Um, we were honored that Shirley Bond came to our meeting last month and was had a very candid, open conversation with parents and allowed the parents to basically throw every and all questions at her. And parents really respected and appreciated that they got to hear the voices heard. And I think that's exactly it. Parents want to know, not just feel they're being heard, but know they're being heard. And that they understand there's a resource issue. They're frustrated. They also understand that it's not a quick solution, but they want to know that, they want to see that something's happening. They want that transparency, that accountability, that progress about what's actually being done. And that comes back to um, a lot of this comes from the top provincial level down, like what initiatives are happening. We need, you know, what changes are going to happen? How are we going to show that if the government says we're going to commit to this, then how do we hold them accountable and how do we see that that change is happening? And that's what they're asking for. So um, now your uh, your DPAC meetings, uh, are these open to all parents? Yep, we represent all parents. So if you uh, ha- if you are a parent, a uh, step-parent, grandparent, if you, are, if you have a child, grandchild, stepchild of any sort in the school system, um, you can come to our meetings every month. And they're on the first Monday of every month. They're at the Van Bien uh, 
school around the side at the training center, and we start at 6.30. Oh, okay, so this is, uh, this is a way if people want to plug in uh, and not just, you know, do social media posts or send letters themselves, so they want to plug into a community that's advocating for kids uh, for the, uh, in this district. Um, there's a monthly public meeting, and uh, people can also get in touch on the web, uh, etc. I assume. Yeah, we have a Facebook group. If you just search SD57 DPAC, you can find our webpage, you can find our um, Facebook group. And you, we, you can call us, you can email us, you can come to the meeting. Uh, we, whatever you need, our, our job is to make sure your voices get heard. That is literally our mandate. All right. Well, on that uplifting note, thanks for coming on the program, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. All right.